Hello, I'm Ben Redmond. I'm Elliot Colbeck. And this is episode three of the Banner Bearers podcast. Welcome to the Banner Bearers. A podcast for fans of God's here by Steamforged Games. So in this episode, um, our, our main clash phase will be on um, the Reds, Maelstrom, and we're going to have Sam. Slayers. A... Sorry? Slayers, not Maelstrom. Ah, oh, this is what you did with the that's yellow. That's what I did with the yellow, <laughs> calling them Slayers all the time. I got them wrong. <laughs> and, and, and because we can't figure out the difference between Reds and Yellows, we're inviting someone who's much better than us, Sam, who's going to come and talk us through... Um, why they're called Slayers and what to do with them, because obviously we've been playing them wrong. <laughs> um, but before we've got that, we've got a few other bits and bobs to go through. Yeah, so um, let's get kicked off with the plot phase. Plot phase. So what have we got lined up for the plot phase, Elliot? Well, so we've got a, a game that we played the other day, which we'll, uh, which we'll go through with some, some different teams for us. Um, we've got a, a news spew, which we've got some, some fairly interesting news as a new model has hit the deck. And we've got a, a failed instruction, uh, which uh, I think we, we, we've, uh, we've seen kicking around the uh, YouTube channels a little bit about. So okay. let's get on to the game, shall we? Right, so, um, in our most recent game, um, me and Elliot played two fairly different squads to to the ones that we normally do. Um, yours wasn't too much different in terms of the four, but it was a completely new three for you to try out, wasn't it? Yeah, um, so, yeah, it, can, I, can I go into that a bit, Ben, if you yeah, don't Yeah, mind? sure, yeah, yeah, go on, so, on yeah. So, I quite like kind of getting, like, what I call the- themed sort of squads, so... In the last tournament I took, I very much wanted to take Team Nasty. Um, so I had um, Rangosh, um, two undead in the form of Sticks, and uh, Mornblade. Um, and then, unfortunately, because I can't use Morrigan for Toffee, um, I, I ended up using um, Helena as the fourth, which doesn't really feel like it fits in Team Nasty very well. So I was looking for a replacement, and... Um, and uh, we looked at the half tusk model and realised that that is quite a nasty looking model. So I thought I'd add that in, um, thinking I'd just swap out. And I always used to play with that. Would only ever have one blue, and I'd either use Mornblade or Helena, depending. And that was my idea. But then I thought, well, actually, could half tusk work with, with Mornblade? And and that was my idea, just to see if I could get that to work at all. Yeah, we were playing um, knowledge as well weren't we which is a which is a scenario that i think that um favors guardians quite well um particularly good for Mornblade, isn't it because he can throw his banner quite a different distance sorry so he can 
swap between the two scoring zones quite easily. Yeah, he, um, he he's one I would normally have t- if 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 that had come up with the tournament, I wouldn't have taken Helena for that. I'd have taken um, I'd have taken Marlon Blade because because he's good at that. Yeah. So on my list, um, I wanted to try out um, after naysaying Gene on previous episodes and knowing that we've got Sam coming on this episode. Um, I wanted to try out Jean because Sam's a big fan of Jean, so I wanted to give her a bit of a a bit of a go and see if I was could um, dissuade myself of my opinion that she was um, not quite as good as other maelstroms, shall we say? Um, so I kind of took a team to um, to try and sort of like see if I could maximise on the on on the weird thing that the goblins do of doing all the damage in the plot phase. And so I also added um, Sneaky Pete to it. So I had both the goblins and then I added Rangosh as well because the um, uh, what they call the Red Bandits also have plot phase damage that they can do. So the idea was, you know, see if I can kind of actually work by flipping the turn on the on its head a bit and see if that would work. Um, spoiler alert, it didn't. Well, it, it, what was interesting playing against you is it kind of did. I mean, turn two and three, I think I we went into the clash phase with the marker right at your end of the battle ladder. Yeah. Or, or if it wasn't right at your end, it was blooming close to your end at the end of the, class, end of the plot phase. I mean, yeah. You, yeah. you could definitely rack up points pretty quick and easy there Um, yes i think what might have been interesting to try it out was mean possibly knowledge was very much the wrong scenario for this sort of list although i kind of i think that one of the things that's said about uh gene is that she's very fast you know she's got like she's got four movement in the um in the clash phase effectively because she can give herself a movement buff so she's really good at crushing banners um in the plot phase because she can just zip around and get everywhere potentially um but i didn't find that and and therefore i think the the theory is that therefore she's quite good at knowledge um but i didn't really find that was the case at all it might have been that i mean i, I think i was I was first. I was first player on two of the turns, wasn't I? And you were, first, and second player on the other one. But I, don't, I didn't really yeah. find that I was in a position to be able to use that movement, possibly because of Mornblade and the the uh, the Nightshades kind of locking her in place. Quite a few yeah. turns, I had to sort. I spent a lot of time really f- playing around the Nightshades, which was a little bit unpleasant. Yeah, <clears throat> it was interesting because I think you. I mean, Morblade's great, uh, and um, I'll say just how amazing he is when when we do a review of Team Blue um, next time, I guess. Um, but I think you always manage to get away from the nightshades. Um, I just think the amount of effort you had to put into doing it, it is really what cost you the game. Mm. They never stopped you doing anything, if you know what I mean. You know, you always managed to get away from them. You, you never just went, oh, God, I can't actually even do anything. 
with it. But you had to do so much stuff to kill Night. You know, you had to really, really think about your entire team just to kill the Nightshade so your character could do whatever. Yeah. And I think that's kind of ultimately what cost you the cost you the game slash won me the game is you, you had to spend so much energy, especially in the clash phase, trying to get rid of the the Nightshades. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, there was one of the one of the sort of things that I say about like one of the um, troubles I have with um, Jean is the fact that for a Maelstrom, her four-four attack is just bad, you know. And whenever I raise this, people say to me, "Well, you're not choosing the right targets with it." But I'm not sure what targets there are that that actually works again within the game. You know, it's not. You know. I mean, mm. what is that? Possibly the possibly the elves, Lawsan's um, shadow rangers, are they called or something? That have what have they Mis- got? Misford rangers, yeah, Misford they're... rangers four, four, three, one, aren't they? But yeah, you know, they're quite they're quite easy to get a dodge and go up to four one for one of the attacks. So you know, three one. Yeah, was it three two? Could you hit a three two with them fairly reliably? Yeah, didn't. I'm not entirely convinced you could. I think you know the only the only kind of target that it seems to me that that she can sort of dig out points against is the wretchlings. Yeah, which which she's certainly got the the volume of attacks really to. Deal with that. Well, so, uh, possibly she has in the in the plot phase with a with a thing. It's just you know the comparison to Sneaky Pete is that I mean he's got his main attack as five five with all the extra bonuses and shenanigans he can do with that. But he has that attack in both phases, um, whereas with Gene, it's the four four attack that does two different targets. And the fact that they have to be in adjacent hexes is quite uh, is a quite a limiting factor. Oh, I suppose the dragons are another one. The dragons, they're the ones that it that she could do some damage to. But not a lot. she's not going to be killing them. No, they need to be right next to each other. And you don't normally pair the dragons up, do you? Um, no, I, I think it's better. Yeah, so. yeah. Certainly if you were playing against Jean, you wouldn't. But, you know, right, so she can hit and do some damage to the dragons, but, you know, they to, got, get, they got five to, to work points, through yeah. five hit points is going to take, you know, no, quite it was, a few um, attacks, I would have thought. I wasn't... I think I think Jean's movement shenanigans, I, I was a bit more worried about playing against her um, than anything else. Mm. Um, and it was, I mean, it was, it did feel hard to predict what you were going to do actually because it was all plot phase if you see what I mean yeah. um, so that I was think... interesting but in the clash phase it did feel like you know I I was having turns where I was constantly doing stuff uh, and you were having turns almost for the sake of it in the clash phase at yeah. times because you can't yeah. forfeit your turn it did feel very much like Oh, I'll move this person over here, and then you can beat someone else in Elliot. You know, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, is not normal. It was it was a bit sort of disappointing on that on that regard. I think 
Snakey Pete feels like a much better constructed. Uh, I really enjoyed playing Sneaky Pete. I mean, if that's one of the things that that game taught me is I want to I want to start putting him in lists a bit, put, putting him back in lists. I really enjoyed playing him. He's good fun, and he's uh, and he's decent. He's I think he's quite toolboxy because he's very you know he's very much a good target against high agility um, things. But you know that's good against Rangosh, and Rangosh hates him. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Rangosh can't touch him really. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, but the um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a problem. I think, I mean, one of the things that Sam says on the on the Discord is don't go full gobbo um, because you know those effects don't stack up very well, and possibly yeah. you know it might. Although having said that, you know, you say now I you know we went into clash phase with it all the way over in my um, in my zone. We are playing knowledge, which is one that really restricts your scoring. So if we've been playing um, life or death, where there's no scoring restriction, whether that might have been different. With that, 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 that is true. That is know. true. Um, yeah. But in terms of Gene's movement shenanigans, I thought you handled it very well. You kind of had this sort of general approach where you had your um, you had your nightshades kind of spread across the line. And then you had other things backing them up, so they were spread out in a, like a hex each. And yep. then there were other, like, um, um, like bandits, bandits, bandits or or, uh, and or, or some of your, you know, or some of your champions as well, just kind of stood behind them, so that if I wanted, to, I couldn't move them with Jean's um, strikes. You know, the, one of the things that they talk about with Jean is how powerful those strikes are. Well. I didn't see that in this game, and I think that's a credit to how well you played that list against them. That you just kind of you didn't give them any options to push, um, to push anyone around. So, um, yeah. So I'm 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 I, just, I remain unconvinced by Gene, but yeah, it made me want to play Sneaky Pete a lot more. He was a lot of fun. Um, right. So have you got any closing thoughts on that, or shall we move on to the news? Yeah, I think that. No, I mean, it was a it was a decent game. Um, I did think actually the only thing I'd say for it is is I thought double blue was better than I thought it was going to be. I I actually thought double um, double guardian would be would be quite a bad list. Um, you know, I didn't think I'd have enough power, and but I did. But whether that's because I was playing an odd plot phase list or, or whether that's a generic is will be interesting. I think I might give them another go at, at yeah. some form of double blue list as well. He's um, quite punchy. Is um, half duck is pretty punchy, um, and he can normally he normally gets both of his skills off. And the um, and the the frogs in combination with the nightshades, you know, you can't move, and when you do move, someone's sat on the hex you wanted to get to. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimate irritation. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. it was. Like oh, was was the one point where you actually put, used the frog to pull somebody back into the nightshades? I, I tried to. I think I failed, unfortunately. Oh, I, I think I failed yeah. the hit world, but yes, I did attempt to do that, which you know, um, which but, could have been particularly unpleasant. Yeah. Yes, yes, but you didn't have to throw anything at me because uh, I think I failed the. Uh, I failed the hit world, but. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, I think I was having to do it with one frog, which is is not that accurate, unfortunately. Um, mm. 
just just because I think you'd killed some of the fogs with Gene because you were getting annoyed with them. So, <laughs> but yes, the the news phase then. News view. Right. Well, we have had a little bit of a spoiler from Steamforged, which is great to see. Great to know that this game is is still. Um, active and in development and new things happening yes and it is an absolutely lovely looking model that you can't see a great deal of (laughs) (laughs) well yeah for those who haven't seen it all that we have is a quite um sort of like classic sort of god tier atmospheric background which very much has a certain colour singe to it, shall we say. And then there is a, right. like a model silhouette over this background, and um, what, from which what, you can pick out a few details. And what, what I do like is obviously Steamforge have been listening to uh, our podcast because they've, they've chosen to release this on a red background because they knew we were talking about Slayers. Uh, this episode. Did, yeah. <laughs> That's obviously yeah. the reason they did that. <laughs> That's not, well, it's obviously, yeah. I mean... I mean, this is it. I mean, the red background could just be a massive red herring, couldn't it? You know, they could literally just yeah. like let's just troll the community, right? Let's this new <laughs> this new shaper that we've got to put out. Let's let's yeah, let's give it a well, this new guardian. Let, let's give it a let's give it a red background, shall we? <laughs> we assume the red background is not them having a laugh or or, or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks <clears throat> looks like a Slayer. It looks, I mean, it's only a silhouette, but it looks very orky. Um, it does indeed, yes. Um, and and it says, this champion's got teeth, and it looks like it's holding some form of big sword slash Massive jawbone. Sword. Yeah, huge. Um, so, I mean, and, and that, that ties in. I was having a bit bit of a look before, before the episode, and, you know, um, we've only got two orcs at the moment, Blackjaw and um, Battleborne. Yeah, um, you know, and it's looking like they're trying to do a full set for each, um, yeah, for each race. You know, I mean the, and they've got some deviations. So like the elves have the centaur in as part of the elves, but it is that same picture, yeah. isn't it? Um, you know, in some there's, respects, there's the monsters, which are yeah, which are all all different. You know, Rangosh Wraith. Yeah, um, is it Rangosh Wraith Half Tusk? <laughs> Yes, um, yeah, they've yeah, got a yeah. maelstrom yet, have they? No, yeah. no, because and, and then again, you know, because the, the undeads have got a full set because Grimgut is is yeah. an undead, but you know, more zombified sort of thing. So they're, they're yeah. doing it a bit different. Um, so I mean, if we assume that they're they're not trolling us, and that is indeed an orc and uh, not like a, a goblin with a small sword, as I think I saw someone say on Discord. <laughs> I can't remember who, unfortunately. Um, you know, although we... talking about jokes about his sword, the best one <laughs> I saw was he's got an enormous sword, therefore, he must have a 5 5 ranged attack. <laughs> yes, I, uh... <laughs> I did see that one and I like that a lot. <laughs> I, think that, I think that might have been Sam, actually. It might have been <laughs> Sam, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, if it is an orc, you know, we can assume some things, I think, from the orcs, can't we? I mean, they seem to be sticking with um the kind of the stat line per se 
seems to be fairly consistent within the races. So you yeah, it does. A, yeah, so a three move in the plot, a two move in the in the clash. Um, both the current orcs have three dodge, which you know could be fine. Armor, that's the you know probably going to be mediocre. Black jaws two. Battlebones 3, so depending on... I mean, it looks like he's got a bit of armour to me on the picture. Yeah, it looks a bit more armoured than Blackjar, who is basically yeah. just going around in a pair of pants and tassels, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I would expect looking at looking at that, if it was a if it was a 3-3, three, three, I wouldn't, be, I, yeah, I wouldn't it, be saying that looks ridiculous, otherwise he got that stat line. Yeah. Um, and then wounds, you know, could be up there somewhere. I mean, black draws pretty tough on eight. Um, Rattleburn is down down a little bit low at six, so it could be anywhere within that region, I guess. Um, mm. Depending on what it's like. Um, but I mean, we'll yeah. see. I mean, if it's a red, you know, if it's a red, and if it's three three, you know, I can see like the six or seven being yeah. Being 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 the sort of par for him, for for that and then type of model attacks. So we were kind of chatting on this. There's a couple of different sort of attacks it could have. You know, big sword. You could imagine a big hit attack. Um, mm-hmm. You know, very 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 high numbers. But then we we were kind of arguing that didn't feel particularly orky looking at the other attacks. I think. Yeah, when you look at the other other orc characters, now we've only got two, so you can't necessarily say that like the races follow. But you know they don't tend to have big attacks. You know, Blackjaw's got he's got a six six with his kick, but a lot of these like five fours and four five, and um, I think is Rattlebones a a four six Rattlebones is so a bit of damage. Four six, but yeah. yeah. Um, but we we were wondering whether I think we we were wondering whether it was one of these that might hit two targets, which would be interesting because it'd be the first like slayer a big that did sweep that. of the sword, um, which would be cool. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting sort of like pseudo maelstrom mechanic for a um, for a slayer. That it can target multiple champions with its attack. But yeah, no, certainly interesting. Um, and then, can I say my crazy theory now, Ben? I think we need to talk about your crazy theory, Elliot. I think it's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I don't so think it's going to happen, but I think, I, I think, I think, it think is. it's good. <laughs> so, so, so my my theory is. Um, that, that God Tear have obviously listened to our podcast and think Team Yellow is ridiculous and have decided that they want to stop that. So they want to put someone out who doesn't have any followers. Um, and, I, and I think this is possible. So um, I think it's there's a computer game called Soul Calibur, I think, where there's a demon-possessed sword, which kind of interacts on its own a bit. And I think like this champion could be holding a sword that has a separate card deck. So almost the, the sword... As a, as a as a separate card as a follower card, and the and and the champion has has a, has a separate card. So the champion maybe has some moves and some shouts and some kicks, and then the sword has attacks uh, on its own as as two different cards, two different activations. Um, I just think that'd be cool. So, so you would, only yeah. only have the one model. 
um, but you got the two cards. Yeah, it could be an interesting choice. I think it's, I mean, as the <laughs> proponent of Team Yellow, um, I kind of, it worries me a little that that about the idea of not having any followers, so to speak. Um, but what also kind of strikes me about it is what would that look like on the bo- in a box? Yeah, so this is the thing. And the, sorry, and the reason I'm saying this is because the picture is only the, the single picture of um, what we assume is a champion. I mean, it could be a follower for all we know. We know nothing yet. Um, you know, we've just got this, this single picture. Um, and, and to me, that looks big enough that there's no picture of any of, of anyone else, only a single figure. And that, I do wonder if that sword is big enough that it, it could fill a full box. I mean, it would have to be a very big model. but. <laughs> Um, to make it look like it was it was worthwhile, but yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm, yeah, yeah. I think that type of concept might work better for. Yes, but we don't know that this isn't you know this, but you know like like a giant sort of character you know. That yeah. One idea I've kind of mentioned in the past is like an Etin with two heads. It's like a big yeah. giant with, <clears throat> yeah, and you got the, the head looking each way, and you know, and each one has its own activation from the same model. Possibly, possibly. Um, it's certainly a fun idea, and it'll be mechanically. I think it'd be very interesting to play around with. It's more, it's the commercial aspect of it that makes me think we won't do it, as opposed to worried too much about. Um, um, the impact that it has on Slayers, and you know, it can possibly, it could possibly count as its own. Um, yeah, it could possibly count as its own large follower, couldn't it? And just, oh yeah, just that it doesn't, you know, it shares a model with the with the hero, but you could be able to target it directly. Yep, and then you don't need to do a recruit action to like summon summon it back and. <clears throat> and stuff. So, yeah, it could be, could be. That would be certainly be a very interesting idea for it. Right. So my idea for him, though, my my sort of thoughts were thinking about trying to think about what is there that there isn't at the moment in terms of you know slayers and what they do and um and how they work. And I think, you know, in Sneaky Pete, well, you've got his weird shenanigans for for the turns, which is one thing, but he's also, he's quite a sort of toolkit. You know, he's not, not a toolkit so much as like a specific tool that's very good against um, high dodge characters. Um, you know, Rangosh is almost the opposite, that he's very good against high armor characters. Um Got low yeah. dodge characters, more specifically, perhaps. Um, <laughs> you've got um, Lawsan, who's uh, and uh, Kira. Who are, you know, they've got toolboxes within their within their kit, haven't they? They've got different attacks for different types of yep. types of character. Um, <clears throat> with you know, like the range focus of Lawsan and the mobility focus of Lawsan that she's got as well. And then you've got Maxon, who's this kind of like 
range character who prefers to be in close range, weirdly. Um, uh, you know, and he's very much like, you know, makes compensates for his lack of mobility by being able to take out banners when he shoots people. So kind of thinking about what the, um, thinking about that, it's like what's really missing is almost like the pseudo shaper. Okay. You know, one who's got, and, and if you were playing Team Orc, it would compensate for what Rattlebone doesn't do as a shaper, is if you had somebody who pushed things around a bit. And that's something that a big heavy sword. You can push um, people with a big heavy sword, yeah. Potentially says to me, you know, push people around, knock people over. You know, maybe, yeah. um, you know, maybe when they, <clears throat> when you take somebody out, you get to put them an ex- push them an extra hex or an extra couple of hexes um, as a special ability, something like that. So that was a kind of that was one of the thoughts that I had about him that he might be, you know, that there's like big kind of push about merchant. Yeah, because um, they've not got any, have they? I was just looking at Team Hawk so far, and there's 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 no um, moving other people shenanigans, as far as I can tell. No, no. Just so yeah, which which is which is perhaps a a reason why it won't be. True. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. in terms of you know, if they're trying to make it consistent within Orcs, but then also you know, equally, it's uh, adding a a um an element to a faction that is not currently present. So the um but yeah the other idea I had for him was um guild ball players amongst our listeners or ex guild ball players will remember um a model that came out towards the end of the guild ball period um veteran captain Boar, who his main special was he had this special rule called berserk which meant that every time he attacked something. If it hit and did damage, he could attack again and use it again. It made him very efficient in Guildball getting lots of attacks. Uh, and the captain version of it, the model looks not entirely dissimilar to the uh, to the silhouette that we can that we can see. You know, it's got that sort of like you know he has a big axe rather than a big sword. I think if I remember rightly, but it's got the real sort of like that sort of feel to it to the character now that that berserk ability might kind of be i suppose kind of tie into the to your idea about does he have lots of attacks like the ability to attack things multiple yeah. times yeah it, that would certainly feel quite orky i think based <clears throat> that, yeah yeah yep so you know after you hit with this attack you may use it again as a bonus action something like that yeah. And it'd be, be interesting that because it'd be a way to give um, a character more attacks, but with, without doing like a lot of the other cards do, where you get different attacks. You know, so that almost you you might a lot of, you can give them a lot of attacks, but they're not toolboxes, you like to call it. If you see what yeah. I mean, you yeah. Know, there's quite a few people who have multiple attacks on the card, and you pick which one you want to use. Um, or you use both if you can, but it, it would be interesting if you you know you can do it multiple times, but you you haven't got the choice. So um, yeah, so 
It, yeah. it, it's certainly going to be interesting to what what comes. Um, I think I'll be playing against it a bit. The uh, the missus who's recently going to Guild Ball saw the silhouette and went, "I'm buying that." So <laughs> whatever it is, I uh, I reckon I'll be fighting some battles against it because it, it it certainly looks uh, certainly appealed to her when she saw that that silhouette. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, I know Jen, and I know what she likes in in games and. <laughs> I can see that that would definitely be right up her street. Yes, yes, that I, I think I think it is. So, oh dear. Right. So we've got a few other little little sort of bits of news as well. Um, so there's a a new YouTuber's um, cropped up. I think his YouTube channel is called He Who Is Named. Um, I think it's the Discord user. Kazo or Quazo, possibly not sure how you pronounce that. Um, and uh, yeah, he's done a couple of little videos, just a nice kind of 15 minute as where he does like a um deep dive review into an individual champion for 10 15 minutes, which is probably a little bit more time individually that we get to spend on them in our in our reviews that we've been doing. Um, but yeah, he's He's got these videos out, and they're well worth checking out. So, yeah, def- definitely try to have a, have a listen to some of them. Um, uh, I, I think sometimes it's interesting to some of them as well. You know, since since we've started doing these, is it's chatting and listening to ones that you you don't rate or or you know you don't see the appeal to because other people do often think about things quite differently, don't they? Um, mm. So so it is quite you know the ones you go, why would you use him? And then someone says that you go, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> it might 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 well be worth a listen. Um, and then we've got another bit of news, isn't there? There is um um a, a, a online event finished recently. Indeed. It was called uh Bodless God Tier. I think we'd uh, we'd mentioned it a couple of times previously. Yeah. Um yep. Uh so do you do you want to run through the, the, the score line at the end? Yeah, so um uh, yeah, so Dave Martin won it. There's only four players involved. Dave Martin won it, uh three and oh. Charlie Ramler came second with two wins. Mike Marchal, who was the who was the guy running it, um, came third with one win, and then Diced Ham uh, came last without a win to his name, unfortunately. But what it has mean is that there is now a change at the top of the Longshanks players' rankings. So I don't know if this is us being a bit of a curse, but we get. Sam to come on and do an interview, and just before he does so, um, he loses his place as the top-ranked player in the world to Dave. So, <laughs> yep. So maybe we'll have to reach out to Dave and get him on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so, um, but it's interesting looking at some of the the lists that were taken. Uh, so Dave took. Kaylin Kira Finvar, which is interesting. Nia Sneaky Pete and um, Stick. uh is that Sticks? Look at the little icon. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So and um you know, there's a few kind of less common ones. We've got Rattlebone that Mike took. Um you don't often don't see Rattlebone a lot. 
Um, uh, Sneaky Pete again in Charlie's list alongside Lausan again, one you don't often see that often. Um, Diced Ham also took Finvar, so two copies of Finvar, which is um, a little bit unusual. And he took Gene as well, so again, another one that we don't see that often. So, interesting selections there, and it'd be. Um, yeah, interesting to know what some of the people's thoughts are about it and about how it went and how the different champions fared. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll have to see if we can we can um, speak to any of the people. Maybe see if uh, see if Dave's interested in uh, having a natter or, or or any of the other yeah. people on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We can see. Yeah. So maybe Mike is the organizer. We'll have to see if we can get somebody on anyway. Um, yeah, generally speaking, if we are um, very happy to have guests on. Um, so if there's anybody out there listening who's involved in the God Tier community and fancies um, uh, giving us a, uh, you know, fancies coming on to talk about something with us, then, you know, shoot us up. Which gets us to our final bit of news, which actually I should have mentioned last episode, but... We now have an email address. Do we? We do indeed. Excellent. I've not even <laughs> told you about this. I can't, I can't... You can you can tell you can tell who does the kind of uh, support stuff and who just turns up and talks, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had to. I had. I actually had to set one out, set one up, because because um, when I came to. Um, publishing the first episode so we've we've had it since i published the first episode oh well because when i did so i had to create i had to you had to have like a publicly listed email address so I was thinking, well, i'm not sure i want my kind of personal private email address publicly yeah. listed on anything so i created us a new a new email address so we have a new email address if you'd like to get in touch it is banner bearers podcast all one word at gmail.com and if you send stuff to there, um, I will see it. And if I can figure it out, I'll get it to do an automatic forward to Elliot as well, if he wants. Um, and we'll uh, we'll take your take your um, take your emails. And if you've got anything you'd like to contact us about, or um, you know, suggestions for rules to discuss for failed instruction, or any news, you know, if you've got a, a YouTube channel or something like that that you'd like to promote, let us know. No other podcasts, of course, because that'll beat you our competition. Boo hiss. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no, seriously. If you, anyone else wants to get a podcast, please let us know, and we will, we'll, we'll happily cross, um, cross advertise. Uh, but yeah, um, get in touch with us if you want to through our new email address. And with that done. Let's move on. Failed instruction. So, failed instructions. Um, so th- this was about um, typical as God Tier does is it it makes rules and then it, it it breaks them straight away after making them. So the standard rule in the game is you cannot repeat the same 
action twice. So you cannot move and then move with the same person in either phase. Mm. Uh, yeah. Or, or you cannot works. kick and kick again with black job or, or whatever else. Yeah, and it works with other with all the different actions and things that you can take as well. So you know you can't um, you can't recruit more than once, and you can't advance more than once. You can't. Um, uh, I suppose you can't rally more than once. You certainly can't claim more than once, can once. you? That might be yeah, something yeah. that somebody might want to do. Um, uh, under normal circumstances, anyway, you can't. But there but, are some rules that, or some, um, or some individual um, characters that get around that in some way. And, and so this, you know, this is something that Steamforge seems to like doing with God tier is it puts some base rules and then it, it breaks or tweaks them a little bit, um, you know, which is which is cool. It's, it's how it gets the flavour. And the main two is the, the Retchlins and the Virtues, I think, are the main two that we can think of, Ben. Yeah, I think so. And this is, it's interesting. This has come up because it's something that I've seen. been watching a few kind of, um, a few people playing, um, playing some games of God tier uh, on their YouTube channels. And I just kind of spotted that this seems to be a common mistake, I think, particularly with the way the Retchlings work, which is a little bit different. I think the the virtues is a bit more uh, is a bit more straightforward. Can we start with the virtues then? Ben? Yeah. Yeah, let's so, um, so- the virtues is it's their um or what do they call it their trait isn't it harmonious that allows them to do this yeah uh and, and that states i'll just read it off the card immediately after a virtue uses a skill the other virtue may use the same skill as part of the same action so that's not really so again this isn't so a virtue can't use patience and then Pay can use it, and then the other one uses it. So you do have to actually measure distances, for example, from the different ones. I think that's the main important thing to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's the main thing. Like you know, so they've got justice. Basically, if you one virtue is next to one model and another virtue is next to another model, both can use justice one after another to to hit models, but you can't just hit the same. You know, you you you. You have to think about which models were next to which one for that. I think that's the main tricky bit, is it? Yeah, and it's it's part of the same action though. Yes, so that is one action. Yeah. So, so the, the kind of the key thing is they can move and then do that, or they can use their other skill and they can both use the other skill and then they can do that. Uh, yes. You know, so so it doesn't cost them their other action to do it which is different to the Retchlings. So the Retchlings, it's actually written into the text of their two different skills. So on their, um, and you know, then they only have two skills, two skills, one on each card, or each side of the card. So if you look at the, on the plot phase, they have slip and slide, which gives a movement buff. And it says two Retchlings may use this skill in the same act- activation if they are in different hexes okay which is an interesting interaction um but um that basically means that you can 
that you can do it twice. You can give give out two movement buffs, but you cannot do anything else. So you can't move them and do that. Um, you know, that is just, it takes, each one takes one of your actions to achieve. Um, so, you know, so with Slip and Slide in particular, I like to use this to, um, uh, at the start of the game, to spread out the entire five all across the back line um, so that I can theoretically, particularly if I'm going second, I can give out the movement boons to whoever I want um, because they can always be next to one or other of the wretchlings. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and then on their clash phase, um, it's on the slimed skill, which also has the same wording. Two wretchlings may use this skill in the same activation if they are in different hexes. Um, so this is their kind of their main attack that does that targets up to three models in one hex. So it's a really kind of it's a classic maelstrom attack, but it happens to be on the followers rather than on the champion. Um, but this one is a is I think this one's easier to get wrong because they in the plot phase the wretchlings don't have a move, so the only thing they can do is slip and slide unless they're yeah. buffed or something like that. And you know, and then you could do a recruit, but you know that's unlikely to do with a retchling because because of how they work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but they do, the retchlings do have a move. So if you want to move them one um, to get them into the right place to do the slimed, then you only get the one shot at a at a hex. You know, it can still hit three models within that hex, so you can still theoretically take three people down. But um. But but it, it it is that if you want to do two target two different hexes from two different of your hexes, then you can't do the move. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It just so that's that's the key difference with it, and I just thought that was um, worth having a quick little chat about. Is two um, two different abilities that two different followers that. Um, both play around with being able to do skills twice. Um, but yeah, the Wretchlings do it in a much um, less aggressive way, I suppose you could say, could you? That, you know, that they have to spend an action on each use of it. Whereas yeah, the Virtues it, can just yeah, do it. Yeah, the the Virtues almost look like they're having four, up to up to four actions in a phase, don't they? Mm, yeah, uh, they can do, which um, does look a little bit strange. I think the first time you see it played, although you know you, you get used to it fairly quick. So. Yeah, I mean, you tend to find that you know they're not hugely impactful. They're, they're good their abilities, but they're not sort of like you don't it doesn't feel broken. No, no, what they're doing. Just feel like it's super powerful. Whereas um I think possibly with the Rexlings, if you can get two slimes off on perfectly clustered enemy followers, then that's quite a strong activation. You know, it's black just better than Blackjaw almost, isn't it, really? It's um, it's pretty unpleasant. You've done that to me before yeah, and uh, but it it's, made, it's it's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. But it's tricky to pull off 
and to get it. And once you've put them in that position, you know, you've put them in that position on Grimgut's turn, you've given your, your opponent, you've signposted that to your opponent that, right, they're down, they've got this potential attack coming. So, you know, it gives your opponent a chance to do something about it. Okay. Right. And with that, I think we are done with the plot phase. Now, just before we move on to the clash phase, just to let you know, uh, in case there's any inconsistencies that come up, um, we actually recorded this about a week before we've recorded, we recorded the clash phase about a week before we recorded the plot phase. It's almost like we're playing goblins ourselves uh, with the recording schedule. But we're, we're going to edit it together in the usual format. Um, but if there's any references to things, it may be that they are... Um, you know, based on on the fact that we recorded the section with Sam um, about a week ago now, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, when we could all at a time when we could all speak, considering we're in different continents, that that, yes. that that was convenient for everyone with life going on. Yeah. So, um, anyway, let's let's move go on. speak to Sam. Yeah. Clash phase. So, welcome to the uh, Clash phase. And today joining us, we've got our special guest, Sam. Hello, Sam. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. I love the podcast. I'm a big fan. I'm a banner head. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, thank you for that as well. I'm not sure how much that name's going to catch on with our <laughs> 17 regular listeners. Um, but uh, anyway, tell us a little bit about yourself. How might people know you, know you in the God Tier community? Well, I'm on the Discord. I go by the name Grumpy Sarn. Uh, there's a little picture of my cat wearing a king outfit. And I also write a blog called The Objective Hex, which I invite you to read and I hope you enjoy. Um, and then I've been playing tournament games a lot um, online because I live in a place that does not have a lot of in-person god tier, unfortunately. So most of the tournaments I've been able to do are tabletop simulator ones. Um, and uh, I'm always up for a game. Uh, so if you want to hit me up on Discord, maybe we'll play. Very good. Uh, I don't know if you listened to our last episode, but I was a bit sort of grumpy old man about the uh, the old tabletop simulator. So... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I heard that. I mean, it's not for everybody, and I certainly felt the same way at first, but uh, I got yeah. used to it pretty quickly, and I don't know, I sort of enjoy it. You've got all the champions there, and you can play with people all over the world kind of at any time. Um, so I find it convenient and um, a really pleasant way to play, especially because yeah. I have no real alternative. Yeah, I mean, I think um, certainly if you if you don't have a local community, it's, it's, uh, it's a real advantage to have that facility available i'm not dissing it it's just maybe maybe someday i'll have to sort of like find someone who can take me under the wing and sort of give me an idiot's guide to it with someone very patient it would have to be <laughs> i'm going to say i actually found when, when we was in deepest darkest lockdown we did try playing a bit didn't we ben yeah um, i'm good and i actually found I, I thought it was easier to kind of understand what your opponent was doing because you could constantly be looking at your opponent's cards 
while while they were playing, which okay, you can do in a real person event, but it feels very impolite to say constantly, "How how are you doing that? How have you got away with that?" But every time you move someone or did an action, I was reading the card to get my head around it on the on the thing because you know you do that and it doesn't distract. I don't know if that was yeah. Tabletop Simulator or the other one that we played. Hey, but, we we used Tabletopia, yeah. Tabletopia, but either way, it did make that a bit easier. Right, so anyway, to start off with, before we get into the main cut and thrust of the Clash phase, where we're going to be doing a review of the Slayer uh, class, I've got got a new section we're going to introduce. So this is going to be hopefully a semi-recurring section that we have whenever we have a guest on. Um, And this is, name just come up with, thanks to Sam himself, this is the Rapid Strike section, which is just a quick series of fun questions to... uh, to to introduce the guest and uh, hopefully break a bit of ice. So, Sam, are you ready for your rapid strike questions? I'm so excited. Let's go. If this is rubbish, we can just get rid of it in the edit. Okay, question one. Wraith Marid, broken or just OP? Just OP. Um, And the reason why I think that is because there are some decent counters to Wraith. I think Kira does really well into him, for example. Um, and there is some counterplay that you can do. Um, however, I would not say that he is any worse than OP. He's definitely at the top end of the spectrum. But you can deal with him. Uh, it's just vexing to do it. Um, and I think if you look at some of the lists people are bringing to tournaments, they don't necessarily include Wraith. He's not even the most popular champion on Longshanks. So just OP for me. Yeah. Uh, question two. Cold bones or hexlings? Give me those hexlings. Give me those hexlings all day because they can transmit any boon anywhere, uh, which I think is really good. It's the kind of thing that can make you think about taking Morrigan, for example. <laughs> okay. Question three. Quest or knowledge? Give me quest. Quest is one of my very favorites because it really forces you to think about positioning and about this like inherent tension that exists between going after your opponent's banner and setting up your own. It really like stretches out the board yes. um, and supports a lot of different play styles. So if you have someone like Grimgut who likes to block off approaches, that can be really good in Quest. Uh, but at the same time, those mobile slayers also have stuff to do. Knowledge is great. I love all the scenarios, but knowledge is so weird. And because of how short the battle ladder gets on turn five, I feel like knowledge sort of compels you to play a banner game. Um, And I like scenarios that are a bit more open stylistically. Right. Okay. Um, Right. Question four. Do you have a favorite sort of like joke name or nickname for a particular champion or followers? For example... Um, a local player who used to play, I don't think he plays anymore, but a uh, local player to us um, got very annoyed with the uh, the Glory Seekers killing off Rangosh several times in a game and decided he was going to call them the Glory Hole Seekers. Um, <laughs> so do you have do you have any kind of joke names for any of the any of the champions or followers? It's not as blue as that, but uh, I do like to call Rattlebone Rattle Business. I don't know why. She's just Rattle Business to me all the time. Okay. All right. And finally, Snog Maria Void. Have you, do you, have you heard of this? Is this a very British thing? Have you heard of that over in, over in the States? What? No. What is this? Right. So I give you three. 
I give you three people, or in this case, three champions, and you have to choose one of them that you would snog, one of them that you uh, would marry, and one of them that you would avoid. Oh, okay. We call this um, F, marry, kill in the States. Yes. Okay, yeah, I got it. A, a little bit more extreme, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the snog is sometimes, is sometimes swapped for shag, I think. But anyway, so snog, marry, avoid. It's a nice little gentle version of it. Snog, got marry, it. avoid. So for you, I've picked, after reading your blogs, I've picked Rangosh, Gene, uh-huh. and Landslide. Uh-huh. Oh, that's really tough. Um, well, the easy part is that I'm marrying Rangosh uh, forever and ever. Landslide, I think we're going to just do a quick snog uh, because, you know, I, I want Landslide to go away when Kaylin is there. And then um, we're going to have to avoid Jean as much as it pains me. I do like Jean, but given her competition, that's that's how that's going to work out. Right. Okay. And thank you. That is the end of your rapid strike questions. And so without further ado, Elliot, do you want to take us into the main bulk of the clash phase? Yes. Yes. So let's talk about Reds Slayers. Um, so they, they were, we, we did, um, did this partially because Sam wanted to talk about Slayers. <clears throat> Uh, and also, I think they were second on the uh, Facebook poll of, of which champion we should talk about, champion type. Um, so I suppose, to start off with, I'm going to kind of pose, you know, why, why take a slave at all? And, you know, obviously, they're good at taking down enemy champions. One of the things I was thinking about that is, what else does that bring? Does that bring the ability to to reduce damage in? Because Because, you know, dropping an enemy champion ultimately... You know, gives you a, a massive advantage over the over than just a battle ladder move. Um, you know, it also stops it that champion popping a banner or or killing killing some of your minions or or one of your champions as well. So, you know, that's one of the things I, I like taking a Slayer for. But Sam, Ben, what's your thoughts on why you take a Slayer in general? You go first, yeah. Sam. You're the guest. All right. Very good. Uh, I mean, I think you said it pretty well, which is that in addition to having sort of unique access to the big damage dice attacks in the game, and therefore having sort of the greatest single target damage potential, and thus the best ability to knock out enemy champions, that comes along with a big positioning and denial advantage that you get from knocking them out, right? So if you think about, like, Styx's ultimate, the Reaping, it's a very good ultimate, even though it doesn't score any steps, precisely because of that control and denial effect. Now, the thing about Slayers is that they rely on dice to put out large amounts of damage, and so it feels a little unreliable. But one thing that they all have on their cards somewhere is the ability to do damage without rolling damage dice. They have auto wounds sort of throughout the class. And that means that getting that last little bit of damage to create the knockout can actually be very reliable with Slayers. And I think that they not just do large amounts of damage, but they have a lot of ability to finesse when they achieve those knockouts in order to make the most out of that positioning and denial that they get from doing so. Hmm. Yeah, some really interesting points there. I was going to exactly make the com- the comparison with Styx's ultimate as well. I think that's a real... A real kind of key is the is the positioning, and quite often what I found is um, uh, playing against slayers is the thing that I find most annoying. Isn't the five point loss of on of steps on the ladder? I can usually, particularly with me playing team yellow, 
I can usually make that back up. The big problem <laughs> is that that champion is now, you know, two hexes away from where I want them to be, probably. And uh, or two more hexes away from where I want them to be if the positioning wasn't quite right before they were taken out and they've lost an action. So it's really difficult to get them back in. And it's one of the things, reasons why I really like Kaylin is because she um, <clears throat> she counters that really quite nicely by, you know, she can get up, she can still move forward, she can still attack once she has. I think they were when when I first started playing God Tier, they were a class that really interested me. And I thought I was gonna they were gonna be my favourite class. The issue I have with Slayers though, uh, and why I ended up gravitating more towards the Maelstrom um class is that you can't like you were saying with the dice, you can't always rely on getting the the steps and the battle ladder when you need them. Um and you can't always rely on getting the getting the kill precisely when you want it. I think there's there's a real skill to using them to achieving that. And I think you're right in that you say, you know, they have those abilities that do just the one or the two um sort of definite damage that's a bit more you know, that's that's more reliable. And to some extent it's about the play is about setting them up so that you can then use those abilities to get the definite exactly when you want it um, kill. But yeah. I think that the, there's the, the kind of the thing that I kind of found is and why I ended up gravitating more towards Maelstroms was that there's there's a lot of kind of thinking and setup to that, whereas Maelstroms are a bit more, I'm just going to splash all this damage around and I'm going to score a bunch of points. Um, and then after I've rolled a bunch of dice, I can see what I'm left with. And then I can just go in with my next wave. So I kind of think it's, you know, it's they are a lot, I think a higher skill cap, um, higher skill ceiling uh, than to play them or a higher skill floor possibly. You know, there's there's more skill to play them than Maelstroms, I think, um, in terms of getting the most out of those abilities. It's um, a great point. I think some people who are new to the game like see the red cards and the big damage dice, and they think it's going to be really simple to play Slayers. They just sort of apply brute force and hope for results. And you're right, it's actually a really subtle thing. It's all about timing and setup uh, and sort of choosing the right moments to take risks, um, which I find to be fun and rewarding. But some people probably don't like the swings. Mm. Yes, I think you're actually you're tempting me now to play a few more reds. So I think when I've been playing with my team yellow and then throwing in a splash of a third colour, um, I've always gone for blue or green, but maybe I should try adding a, adding a red in and see what happens. Yeah, I think uh, two reds together is really fun too because... Uh... It does take them a while to layer enough damage into a champion to knock it out. Like, I think some people expect it to happen in one activation, and it usually doesn't. Um, so two together gives you a lot of control. But if you wanted to play with Kaylin and uh, Slayer, I think she supports Slayers very well, because she also can do pretty large amounts of damage uh, and sort of help you get champions down to low health so you can knock them out at a time of your choosing. I think there's also an element there as well. One of the the um, ways in which I find that you can quite effectively counter slayers, if this isn't moving the the the, the 
conversation onto something very different. But one of the one of the ways in which I kind of find you can quite easily counter slayers is by feeding them um, followers. Absolutely, yeah. And just you know, so just like screening them with um, you know low value followers like you know like Rexlings or or uh, Cold Bones or um, um, you know even like the the Orcs or um, um, what well, ties the glory seekers? You know anything? Just just throw these kind of people in the way, and just screen them off from your from your champions, and that can be a really kind of effective way of dealing with them. And yeah, they'll 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 take out one or two of those followers a turn, but he's really kind of limiting them on the on the battle ladder as a result, and keeping your champions alive by not letting them get to them absolutely nothing feels worse than using a super high value attack on a retchling it's gross <laughs> right okay shall we get on with um talking about them individually then yeah so i thought about we could just kick off with lausanne um if that's okay i've been trying to use lausanne a bit more recently with um I'll be polite and say mixed results. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, um, yeah. So, so Sam, uh, if you if you want to kick off and and you know what do you rate Lausanne at doing good, and I'll take some tips to see if I can use a better. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one misconception people have about Lausanne is that they expect her to do Slayer things, and she unfortunately uh, doesn't KO enemy champions very often because her attacks are pretty bad at that um her and best attack not is just me no. <laughs> not at all that's yeah yeah, yeah. that does kind of come to one of the one of the points that i was making about her is that she's almost like a pseudo maelstrom in, yes in some ways in that she's really good at kind of clearing the followers out of the way yeah the... um and once she does that at getting to banners right because with movement three in the clash phase as well as shoot and scoot she is pretty mobile uh and very good as a banner crusher um and you're right she can reliably take out one health followers with her um oh what's it called piercing shot piercing arrow something like that sure yeah um her mystic arrow attack is real bad um it doesn't hit as hard as it should for being accuracy three uh usually when she does ko things it's by combining her field instruction boon with a fairy fire blight, so uh, the four damage dice on snipe looks a lot better. But most of the time, when Lorsan and her crew are getting a knockout, it's because the Mistwood Rangers are doing it. Um, because if Lorsan can sort of tag an enemy champion with one auto wound, they can then sort of get a bonus to their attack and and sometimes produce big results that way. Um, but I don't like relying on the Mystic or Mistwood Rangers myself. I think. They're very vulnerable. They're a very obvious target for your opponent. Um, so I don't use Lorsan very often. She does mm-hmm. bring some unique things, like she is the only uh, champion that can hand out a generic damage boon at this point. It's only her and the Hexlings in the whole game that can do that. Uh, and she's also very fast. Um, so there are some situations where I like her. Her attacks are very accurate, for example. So if I know that I'm going to be facing Sneaky Pete, like in a draft format, uh, then suddenly her snipe attack looks really, really good. 
because it has eight accuracy dice natively, which is, I think, the highest in the game. So there are sort of niche situations where I would want to play her, but there's no way she's making a list of four for me. Hmm. Yeah, it's quite quite a turnaround in the early days because I've been involved in this game since the since the early access um, open playtest, and in the early days of the game, she was absolutely broken. Hmm. Um, and they've, I think they've perhaps over responded to that to some extent. Um, it's interesting what you say about Misty, Misty Caro because I can remember playing Grimgut against Elliot with Lawson. Um, and thinking, I really don't want to let him get Mr. Caro off into Law Sam. That could be really painful. But then when he comes to it, you know, he rolls those five dice twice against Grimgut's two armor, and he does like four or five damage through. It's, it, it's yeah. not. It's not a ten dice. You think of it as a ten dice attack because it's two fives. But but yeah, you know, she can just take dwarves off the table whenever she wants, pretty much with that piercing shot. To our yeah. followers, I should say. And the like. So there are a good range of kind of like dodge for two armor hit um, champions that that snipe has some good mileage into though. It's not going to kill him off straight away, but it's got a decent chance of kind of setting him up for a piercing shot for for yeah. a, for another attack, hasn't it? You know, it's mm-hmm. like so you think. I mean, who are the four twos? Rangosh, um, Nia. Nia. Sticks, shale, sticks. You know, there's quite a few of them. Some of them are quite, quite popular champions as well. And that snipe's not bad into them. And if if you manage to, you know, it's not. It's a little bit of a spike up, I suppose, to get three damage through from one against armor two from one snipe. But um, you know, even if you get two out two damage through, you set up for an ultimate um, mm-hmm. or. You know, a snipe and a piercing shot in one turn, the set up for a piercing shot in the second. So um, so it's quite good for that. And that piercing shot is really good at killing off um, dwarves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah the, like... the dwarf followers um, <laughs> with, and, uh, and the quartzlings as well, I suppose. You know, those kind of dodge two armor four followers that as a maelstrom player they are a nightmare to get rid of Hmm. i'm glad you mentioned her ultimate death blow i think it is really good it's range three it's accurate and two auto wounds is a nice margin to sort of get that key ko at the right moment when you need it yeah and and of course she can shoot and scoot from it as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that can give her a three move in the in the in the plot phase as well if if needed, or additional in the thingy, so... Mm. Yeah. Fairy Fire is also really good. Just, you can put out two armor blights per turn that supports damage across your whole warband. Um, so it's not that Nalursan doesn't do things, it's just I don't think she does enough to overcome that she's dependent on her tissue paper soft followers, and that she herself uh, folds very quickly under pressure. Shall we move on from an elf to to a slightly chunkier chappy in Rangosh? Um, <sighs> you say slightly chunkier. He's just as good at dodging as there, isn't he? I was thinking model-wise. It's a lovely model. <laughs> Before we start talking about like game and stuff, it's a lovely model. Um, and actually, I really like the Red Bandits as well. I think they're really nice models. I think they're kind of something that Steamforge do very well. They're kind of rough-looking 
models that the Red Bandits are. You know, those Bandit style, poor quality armor set. I think I think uh, Steamforge do very good at that. So, so much uh, attitude in the Bandits. Yes. Yeah. Um. They. I mean, I, I I'm a big fan of Angosh. Um. I, I couldn't play for Toffee when I didn't have Rangosh, uh, and I, I've actually won a game since buying Rangosh, so I like him. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, that was the list that you were insisting on playing Morrigan in, so there is. <laughs> yeah, that's a minor point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she wasn't the best. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, I like Rangosh, but actually, I think, and I'm going to put it out there differently, is I think the best part of Angosh is he brings the red bandits. I think this is almost a bit like Titus. Titus is good. The fact that he brings the glory seekers makes it a great war band. And I think Rangosh the same with the red bandits. I'm going to argue. So interesting. What is it you think is so good about the red bandits? I, I think the fact that they can kill three people a turn. You've got an ambush in both phases. Which just pops anyone with low. I mean, it's accuracy five. Yeah, so up to accuracy them, yeah. five. Um, you, yourself buffing yourself. So even dodgy people, you can be accuracy six quite easy there. Um, yeah. And then you've got the range shot, which okay is a bit down on on the damage, but you can up that again. You know, and then the fact that you know if they're in the wrong place from a maelstrom, Vangosh just gets rid of them, and the maelstrom doesn't get any points. Um. Mm. If you see what I mean, so. yes, I mean they're a good counter to Team Yellow certainly because they can, they just they just kind of hang around behind Rangosh really, and and you can just you can just kind of take them off and deny me points. And the, I think the the ambush in the plot phase is really nice because oh, yeah. you, know, you, you you can you know if you're going first or second it doesn't really matter you know they can get rid of that one minion that was just in the way for stopping you doing that banner plant or that banner stomp, if you see what I mean, without having to go a full goblin, you know, and get a lot of, of plot phase attacks. It yeah. gives you that one choice. Absolutely, or bringing someone down in their health pool to where Rangosh can remove them with his ultimate in the plot phase. It's really flexible, it's really useful. The bandits are excellent. You, um, I think, introduced a really important concept there, which is that the quality of attacks is important, but so is the quantity. Uh, and between Rangosh and the Bandits, you can put out, if you use the ultimate, six attacks a turn, which I believe is the most in the game. Um, and, uh, you know, if you think about, like, what makes Rattlebone tough to use, it's that she has just one attack across her whole warband. Rangosh is sort of the opposite of that, and the Bandits are a big part of why. Yeah. I think they also, um, with that ambush in particular, is they are very good at countering that kind of common counter to slayers that I was saying about putting um, putting followers in the way. Mm-hmm. You know that, yeah. that ambushes. You know most fo- you know all all small followers have one hit point, don't they? So that ambush is just a really good way of getting getting clearing them out of the way. You know, there's not. There's probably only the Sneaky Pete's followers that the five dice attack is going to struggle to hit reliably. You know, you might, you know, dodge four, you're a bit of a crapshoot with it, but, you know, probably more than 50%, I would guess. Um, 
that you'll be able to take one out. And, and the fact that they're booning themselves up whenever they do as well um, is just kind of helping them make sure they can get that. I think Elliot quite often takes accuracy as the boom uh, with them. Me too, every time. Um, both so that you can hit high dodge targets and also so that you can hit sort of medium dodge without having to have three of them in the hex. Yeah. Hmm. I have been thinking a little bit more recently about whether you should pick move occasionally. Um, but that, that's a little bit more, so you can get that ambush or shot off in different places, but that's a little bit more situational, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. Like if you need to set up a screen and, and get somewhere in a hurry. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of it is you can pick whatever seems handy for the situation. Um, I just find that I take accuracy a lot because if the bandits are on the table... I probably have them in a forward position where they're ambushing. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about the big boy himself, Rangosh, though, actually. You know, I mean, I just think he's great. <laughs> other than that, <laughs> I mean, any oh. other points anyone wants to bring up? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, if you just looking at his raw stats, he's got three movement, well, three, two movement. So, you know, I mean, it's in the plot phase. It's better to have that mo- mo- the the extra movement in the clash phase, but it's better to have it than not have it. Um, you know, he's four dodge, two armor, seven hit points. I mean, that's... For a non-Guardian, yeah. that's probably the... I would say outside the Guardian class, that's probably the best defensive stat line there is. Can't yeah, think ooh. of anybody who's, who's I would prefer to that. You know, I like 4-2 as a... Maybe Lord uh, Luella, perhaps. Oh, she's... Two, three with seven hit points, I think. Yep, more vulnerable to hit effects, but she has more armor. I don't know, it's close. Yeah, but she's only got three points of armor unless she got the... I mean, she does have very easy access to an armor boon. Right. um, But yeah, it's... But it's interesting, yeah. He's he's certainly certainly up there as, you know, very sort of like... You know, takes work to bring him down. Which is not a common theme of of uh, of slayers, I think. For sure, it's been talked about. Lawson being a bit a bit easy to to bring down if you can target her. And then I think his kind of his basic attacks are really quite good as a toolkit. You know, you've like the whiplash is that kind of the five five. sort of basic effect and then the jawbreaker being three sevens a really good tool against low dodge high armor people but even then given that he can um you know very easily get himself a fourth dice by sacrificing a red bandit if you can get an accuracy boon onto him he goes you know that goes up to five seven or five eight if he's taking a second bandit off you know it's He's got attacks that are always going to have some effect on the game. Oh, yeah. Jawbreaker at 5-9 if you use his channel rage to get a damage boon. 5-9 is just a lot of dice. Like, at that point, the dice are pretty reliable, I think. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've had him one shot Grimgup with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mean, that was a bit of a spiky roll, but not too much. (laughs) No, no, that's reasonable. Um... I mean, I think y'all have nailed it. Rangosh is... So, like, people talk about how great Wraith is because he doesn't really have glaring weaknesses. And I think you could almost say the same thing about Rangosh. I mean, he's durable, he's fast, 
Um, he has good support. He even has a little bit of positioning game with his attacks. They can push and pull people. He's mobile. Um, and at the same time that he is a jack of all trades, he's also an absolute master of at least one trade, which is the killing champions trade, which is a very, very valuable thing to be able to do. That's, that's um, good for a slayer, that, isn't it? That, that's a good thing to be good at. Yeah. yeah. As much out, as we were, we were talking about how good we thought Lawsan's um, ultimate was, doing two damage w- with six dice accuracy from range three, well, Rangosh has got you just move him two hexes and then do two wounds to an enemy. Simple, so, efficient, so, and horrifying. You yeah, know, effectively, it's the same range. He doesn't have to roll the dice. The the other thing is that that gives him in the plot phase a five move. I've stomped two banners and thumped a champion in the head. <sighs> the that dream. The plot. Yep, because you can with five move and. You know, and putting putting two damage on, um, it, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty nice, pretty tasty. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Rangosh is very simply my favorite champion. I have never made a four champion tournament list that did not include Rangosh. He's my first pick in any draft. He's just great. Uh, he does have some bad matchups, but he'll sort of force your opponent to deal with him because nobody wants to be near him, right? So like. What you do with Rangosh is pretty simple. You put him in the middle, you send him after an objective cluster, you have him plant a banner and make people come to him. Um, He is certainly lethal if he can attack you once, but if he can attack you twice in a clash phase, you're very unlikely to have much health at the end of that, and then he and his warband can just sort of dispatch you whenever is convenient for them. Um, but it's sort of the idea that he wants to plant banners, actually, and sort of declare that he owns a certain area, rather than chasing people down, that I think is part of what you need to realize when you learn to play him. Um, so it, you know, it creates a lousy dilemma for your opponent, right? They have to come get your banner, but if they do, uh, they'll be next to Rangosh at the end of it, and then he can attack them twice, and that's very bad. Mm, yeah. Do we think he's the strongest of the Slayers? I think he might be the strongest champion in the game. Yeah, interesting. I should have asked you Wraith or... Wraith or Rangosh, should I have, for <laughs> one of those questions? Yeah, I, I would have said Wraith for a long time. Now, I think if I'm drafting, I'm taking Rangosh number one. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Okay. Who's going to move on to another champion that's also up for top spot? Morrigan. Oh, up, for, up for spot. Oh, <laughs> yeah. My, the, the, the model that got me into the game, the first model I painted, the model that I chose, which starter set to buy, the model that sits in the display cabinet and never comes out to play. <laughs> it looks absolutely gorgeous, though, Elliot. So it's a lovely model. It is a lovely model, and I enjoyed painting it. <laughs> um, no doubt. Yeah, she I, looks great. I, I, I used Morrigan. I don't know how many games. All the games in the world. I went to a campaign. I I don't know if I ever won a game while using Morrigan. I, I can't get it to work. I'm not saying she can't work, but I can't get it to work. <laughs> mm. Yeah, she's sort of uh, like Lorsan, but without the good parts. Um, 
She's the only Slayer that can't do damage in the plot phase. It's very sad. And uh, in order to work, her attacks really need a damage boon. And unfortunately, there just are not good ways to get her one. You can either keep her right next to Lorsan, or you can play her with some Hexlings, or you can keep her right next to Naya. And those are really your only options. And, you know, those combos, like, they, they sound good when you think about them uh, sort of in your head, but then when you see them in physical space, or I guess simulated space on the board, um, it's really limiting to have to keep them bunched up together. Uh, and so I think what she needs is something like the Gearhawks that gives out damage instead of accuracy, where sort of making the combo work doesn't mean having to keep the, the champions shackled together. But until that happens, I'm not taking Morrigan ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the other th- I mean, she's got, she could do some stuff. I got quite good at stomping banners with her because, you know, she can be quite fast quite easily. Um, and she's got yeah. a hit effect that moves her a bit more. So, you know, you can do a few bits like that. Um, yeah, but I mean, also the movement buff, because she gets double value out of the boons, the, a movement boon, which yeah. the cold bones can give her, can't they? Yeah, and then and um, then she's one of her attacks moves her as well, so in the plot phase. So she has theoretically got a five plot phase move with a dice roll, um, which is nice. But... You know, it, it doesn't compensate enough. The other thing I think is the cold bones are just a bit rubbish. Yeah, yeah. they're I mean, always at the wrong end of the board because they have no movement, and you know you don't really want to be using Morgan stuff to move them. It almost doesn't feel worth it. It's true. Their um, in demise ability to give out dodge blades is a little bit interesting, uh, particularly if you're trying to set up a snowball's chance. But I agree, it's more theoretical than practical. Yeah. And there's only really one target for Snowball's chance, isn't there? Aw, Grim Gut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not picking on him, he's my babe. I love him. Um, but, uh, but no, it's... I mean, even against Grim Gut, it's a bit, it's a bit temperamental, isn't it? It's just... You know, yeah, one, one dice accuracy, two dice... Um, Two dice damage. You know, I think I needs. pulled it off, but yeah, but like but I don't needs, know. I played so had, many I games. Had, I think she had both. I think you pulled it off once in all of the games that we've played. <laughs> yes, once. Yeah, and in the early days, you played her every game because the, you, she was one of three champions that you owned. Yes, and I was playing Grimgar in pretty much every game because I was developing Team Yellow, um, <clears throat> and I think he's. I think she was. I think you only managed to do it once, and you had both an accuracy and a damage buff on it. So it was a 3-4. Yep. Well, I will say this. Uh, Morrigan's ultimate uh, is good and puts her in a position where she can get one off. I was playing against uh, a really good player, Charlie Rambler. He came in second in this last tournament. He's the old crow on Discord, and he did create a situation in my game with him where he had a 79% chance of getting one off against Kalen. Um, he unfortunately missed it, but you know, if you get enough blights out there and get the right boons on Morrigan, the dream is possible. But it just takes so much commitment of resources that I doubt it's going to be worth it most of the time. I think, yeah. I, I think that's an interesting point you said. 
when I when I was playing Morrigan, every game seemed to be about how can I get Morrigan to do stuff. Almost like you know, you, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about how can I take this champion down or what's my opponent done. It was just what combos can I pull off to get Morrigan to do something. And you know, there's enough things to think about in in, in God tier, I think, <laughs> rather than how to get your champion to work every game. <laughs> yeah. Shall we move on anyway? To something happier. Something happier. <laughs> Sneaky Pete. Is 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 the next on the list? Um, different champion. Um, I haven't played against him a lot. You played with him a bit, didn't you, Ben? Um, yeah, I tried him out in the. Um, so he was one of the ones who I was most interested in. He was one of the ones who was. His cards were released towards the end of the open playtest. Um. And then there was a period where they had a closed playtest. So I had a bit of a go with him. And I can think when I first got the Kickstarter, I was trying to do a um, a Greenskins team with Pete and um, uh, Rattlebone and uh, Blackjaw. Yeah. Um, and so I played him a bit in the early days. I've not picked him up for a while. I've got a thinking, I think, you know, after our discussions about Gene uh, that we had on the Discord after Sam, after the, um, after I'd kind of completely trashed her in the, <laughs> in the, in the, in our first episode, I've been having to think about, I want to try out a list that is a bit more of a, you know, to try and see if I can get, get used to what Gene does. And I think, you know, having Sneaky Pete alongside us, so you've got, that sort of like super strong plot phase because what the the problem that I found with Pete was I'd have this brilliant setup and have this absolutely brilliant pot, uh, plot phase and he'd go in and he'd because he's a slayer he would I'd get the this brilliant position and he'd move in and he'd sort of like put a bunch of damage down not not quite finish something up finish up something off because that's what tends to happen with slayers. Um, as we've kind of discussed, you know, if you're not if you're not playing him intelligently, and I don't think I was playing him intelligently, and then he'd be out of position for the sure. crash phase, and I, you know, I know I overextended him, and then I'd be spending all my time in the clash phase just trying to get him out of trouble, basically. So yeah, I mean, this is the goblin problem. I wrote an article once called "The Goblin Problem," all about this because uh, I think it's a fascinating sort of wrinkle to the game that the goblins sort of have their phases reversed. Um, mm. I think that they're good, but it really is weird. Uh, and I know some really good players who just hate to play the goblins because of this. Um, I think fundamentally what you got to do is really influenced by whether you're going first or second in the turn. If you're going first, I think your goblins should plant banners. And if you're going second, I think they should crush banners. Uh, and that, I think, puts you in a better position to do something useful later on. But the other thing you got to do is let go of the expectation that they're going to do something useful in the clash phase. They're not. You got to treat the clash phase for goblins pretty much the way you would treat the plot phase for everybody else. Think about the sort of phase that's about to happen. Think about setting up boons and blights, um, and don't expect to get work done because you already had your work get done. Um, so it's weird and it, it feels off, but I think that's kind of the goblin vibe. 
there's that there's one of the things i've been been thinking about and, and, and maybe it's something that i'd like to talk about actually um and do a full episode on this is is activation of champions in the clash phase and you, what you're saying is quite interesting with the goblin is because sometimes you know you desperately want to get activate a champion before your opponent but i have also been occasionally where you don't want to activate anyone until your opponent's gone mm-hmm. and i suppose a goblin where you're just going oh well i'll activate them buff them move them a bit close to that thing or whatever you almost don't care it's a kind of throwaway activation i suppose in the clash phase yeah so if you need if you need to stall yeah, so, so you know, while sometimes you know you you end up stalling with someone that you don't really want to stall with, because um, you know you're waiting for your opponent to move or something. So, so that, yeah. that, that that's that that is an interesting. I think that could be some interesting, but I, I've not used them them the goblins yet. So, um, purely purely theoretical at that point for me. Well, uh, I hope you have a, a fun goblin journey. I think you're right. They are kind of your throwaway activation if you want to stall. It also works. Uh, sometimes the end of a turn, uh, the activations aren't super meaningful in the clash phase because it's sort of been decided who's going to win, uh, and so there's a lot of cleanup going on, you know, like knocked out champions rally, that kind of thing. That's yeah. also a good time to use a goblin activation uh, because you have a lot of information on the board about how things are going to look when that all-important plot phase starts, and so you can sort of set up without counterplay if you're activating Pete or Gene at the end of the clash phase. Yeah, that's a good point. It's interesting you say about Pete, not well, about goblins in general, not not expecting them to get things done in the clash phase. But Pete's actually got the same attack both phases. Oh yeah, you're right. the The limitation he has is that he can't move much. But yeah. you're definitely right. He can he can stab you again. Um, and in the same way that other slayers like to use their ultimates in the plot phase to get one more attack in. Pete likes to use his in the clash phase, which does give you that burst of movement and damage for him one time in the game. Mm. Oh right, yeah, that's an int- yeah. You you could use pounce in the yeah use his ultimate in the clash. I suppose the theoretically you can get two attacks off in the clash with that. Yeah, once once, once per game then. Oh. Yeah, I mean ideally with Pete, you've got him in place at the end of the plot phase, and what you're doing is not so much moving him around as luring others toward you with his ability. I always get it confused if it's annoy or irritate, um, and then stabbing folks. Uh, And he can be really accurate if you've positioned the sneaky stabbers around where you intend your target to be because of Pete's gang boss trait, which gives him plus one accuracy per per stabber that's adjacent. Um, And a, a lot of other slayers sort of rely on dice spikes more than Pete does because that auto wound is built into all of his backstabs. So he has a higher, which makes him especially useful against champions who have strong defensive stats, but maybe low health pools. People like Helena, for example. Mm. That's a good thought, yeah. Mm. I think the sneaky stabbers are quite an interesting group as well. Um, You know, I mean, at (laughs) 5-1 defensively, they are really difficult to get rid of. um, their attack is also good Um, yes and what's weird about it is it's it's kind of it's it's well it's kind of it's a weird toolkit in the same way the um the the golden strikes one is but whereas the golden strikes ones as you would expect gets more dice overall the more of them you have 
theirs is actually more dice if you've got one of them than if you've got three, which I think yeah. is a brilliant sort of like, you know, goblin disorder sort of thing. But I really like it. I remember when I used to play them, I really liked that ability, how I could toolkit it depending on who I was who I was fighting, you know. So if I wanted to fight Lausanne, I'd want to spread out and make sure they were just all attacking um, individually, whereas if you if you want to go against somebody with high armor, then you want them grouped together to be able to punch through the armor with that 3-6 that they've got with three of them. Yeah, it's really flexible and useful. Like <clears throat> Those stabbers go where they want. Um, mm because of small and sneaky. So you can use the high accuracy version to get to sort of fragile champions who stand in the back, people like Shale or um, Kira. Uh, and then 3-6 is no joke um, if you're talking about a low dodge target, particularly because Pete can give them an accuracy boon in the clash phase. So it's sort of that idea that the clash phase is where he does setup, right? He can make the the stabbers more accurate and make that a four-six attack, which is pretty good. Hmm. I also think one thing that I quite liked about them was the sneak ability that they have mm-hmm. in the in the clash phase, um, which you know, given that you want them around around Pete for the gang boss, the ability to just take one off the battlefield and then recruit it right next to Pete. And the fact that, you know, if you are actually one down, you can all of a sudden, you know, in one, in your clash phase, set, your clash phase as you set up, it's just spawn two sneaky stabbers right, ne- right next to Pete. And if he's not gone yet, you're setting him up for his clash phase backstab with two extra accuracy dice straight away. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of mobility that they've got even though the otherwise only one movement in the clash phase can be quite interesting. One other thing I just want to add about Pete is that dodge five looks a lot better when Kaylin exists, um, because her attacks, though very damaging, are not the most accurate. So I think that you know the way that Kaylin sort of affects list making makes Pete a more interesting option in general. Also, right. try hitting him after he's debuffed your accuracy. That's just horrible. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's not yeah. one that's easy to take out. He's not Slayer fodder, is he? So yeah, I mean that's he's the only one who's got five dodge. It's yeah, something else that is a different game to think about. So. You know, you, you have to you have to have the attacks that can manage can manage to hit that. You know, and it's not not everybody has anything. Not every champion has something that can reliably get as high as six. The trouble is, as soon as you have managed to hit that, <laughs> he's uh, he's absolutely paper thin, isn't he? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but five, um, five dodge is something particularly special. I mean, there. even accuracy six is only sixty-one percent chance to hit Pete, mm. um, which is good, but not reliable. Next up, we have. Max in, and I think me and Ben were kind of hoping that you've got stuff to say about Max in because I think I've played against him once. Neither of us have ever played him. I don't think we yeah, own him. He's, he's, yeah, neither, well, I've, it's my birthday in a couple of weeks, and I have asked for him for on, on my birthday list. But uh, yeah, neither of us own him, do we? So it's not <laughs> one we've played against. Very no often. problem. I I've played against Maxon a lot and with him. Um, 
somewhat less, but still a fair amount. Uh, he's really grown on me. Uh, when his cards first dropped, I think my reaction in the God Tier Discord was I, I just sent out several trash can emojis because at first <laughs> I had a look at his card and I just did not understand what the point was. I was like, I thought he was a ranged damage slayer, but at range three, his main attack is four, four. Like, what does this guy do? What is he for? The more I saw him on the table, the more I began to understand that Maxon is really good. Um, maybe my second favorite Slayer after Rangosh, to be honest. Uh, I just posted an article on my blog about how I love using them together. One of the main reasons is that Maxon gives out a lot of support very efficiently. The Gearhawks have this trait called Eagle Eye, where when they end their activation adjacent to a friendly champion, you can give them an accuracy boon for free. It's not even an action they have to take. They just do it. Mm-hmm. And so like the problem with comboing Morrigan up with people who can give her a strength boon is that Morrigan needs to stay near them. Not a problem for Maxon, right? Because the Gearhawks just go off and put that boon wherever you need it. So he's got a really strong support game, and uh, giving accuracy to Rangosh is just horrifying, because then he can uncork those 5-9 jawbreakers at you. Uh, but there's more to Maxon than that. Um, he, I think, sort of is the apex of that idea that slayers burn your health down and then plink the last bit off when they want to. So he's got a nice range 3 auto wound in his piercing shot. And then once a game, bird shot is simply the best attack in the game. It's range 3 and should be 8-8 if you have enough gearhawks on the board. And that is going to pretty reliably take out a lot of champions who've already sustained at least some damage. And that's especially good because of Maxon's trait, which is Scavenger, which means that when he knocks out an enemy champion, you also remove their banner wherever it happens to be. So that can really swing a turn, right? Like if you've done a little bit of damage to an enemy champion, Maxon can pretty reliably finish it off uh, and do so in the plot phase. And that's a nine-point swing when he scores five for the knockout and then your opponent loses four for that banner. And again, it doesn't matter where that banner is. So if someone's you know, gone to great lengths to like set up an objective hex in some corner of the board, like they've used Naya's ultimate or Wraith's undertow and it deliberately lost a turn and like put a hex in an impossible place, uh, Maxon doesn't care. He'll just knock that person out, take their banner off the board. He can only do that once a game at 8-8, but Piercing Shot lets him do it at other times, which is why you know, if you've layered a few attacks on, he can be really good. Um, the Gearhawks, in addition to handing out boons, are very, very mobile. Migrate lets them place three hexes away, and then they have an advance of one as well in the plot phase. So they can move seven hexes a turn, um, and they can move over objective hexes and enemy followers. So... If you're not facing a maelstrom, you can really use them to surround and trap um, sort of enemy champions and deny them access to wherever you want to deny them access to. Uh, and then against maelstroms, the gearhawks can just spread out quite a lot, and they're pretty happy to spread out because they don't really make attacks or anything. There's nothing that makes you want to clump them up. Uh, so you know, the Maelstrom will come in, it'll score two points off of them, but if you've done it right, usually not much more than that. Mm. Um, So, you know, Maxon does his damage close in. I think it's easy to think of him as a ranged attacker. He's not. He has a video game shotgun. Um, 
But up close, 6.6 is no joke. I mean, it's not what Rangosh does, but it's flexible and strong. Um, and it will usually do enough damage that you can sort of finish them off when you want to. He is a dwarf. He is slow. He can only march in the plot phase, unfortunately. But he also, because he's a dwarf, is somewhat more resilient than a lot of other champions. 3-3 three, three with 6 health isn't great, but it's not bad. It's certainly that's more durable. Good. Yeah, sorry, I've been ranting. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just saying that's not bad for slow at all, is it? Yeah. No, no. It's pretty good. Um, but, you know, the, the key to getting the most out of Maxon, I think, is setting things up so you can control the timing of a KO so that you get Scavenger. Uh, and that makes him really dangerous. He's a massive um, counter to Mornblade. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Mornblade <laughs> is so sad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, that that what one damage ping and yeah, Mornblade yep. down and, and without a banner, which is always hidden because that's what Mornblade does. So he's a he's a he's a perfect counter there, isn't he? That's interesting that you kind of say in his Gearhawks almost like a mini mini green, I suppose, with that buffing ability. That's an interesting way of thinking about them. Oh yeah, if the Retchlings were really fast. And unfortunately gave up points. But we're really fast. That's the kind of thing you can pull with them. Don't do it into Maelstroms, though. That's bad. I think if you have got a target as well, if it, for a um, for a high dodge, low armor target, they can get up to... Was that a 7-4, technically, they could manage? Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. It's not a so, talent right. one. Yeah. You know that's uh, good against like like sneaky Pete, isn't it? Oh sure. Yeah. No, you're right. They can make attacks. Um, usually they aren't, but they definitely can. Um, and Maxon himself is also fine into high accuracy stuff because he can just use that accuracy boon on himself, and then his shrapnel shot is a seven six. That'll take care of Pete pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of. I do want to give him a go, actually. Um, I mean, I like the style of him. I like, you know, I like good sort. I'm, I'm into my fantasy with firearms, so <laughs> kind of. Uh, I like that kind of like the the blunderbuss sort of the tinkerer sort of feel of him. I think that's quite quite a nice theme. So I do want to give him a go. So I'm looking forward to to getting him and trying him out, and maybe I'll try him out with Rangosh. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Not from Team Yellow to Team Red, Ben. Oh, yeah. be you, you, you'll be putting another red in there soon. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, shall we move on to the final champion of uh, Kira? Yeah. Um, I mean, epic. Dragons. Yeah. Who doesn't like dragons? I mean... Um, Again, and, and I think I quite like the way that she was quite different to everyone else. That she has no direct attacks, as it were. Her attacks are through her dragons. I think that's really thematic. And I like, you know, I, I do like the fact that Godte keeps on bringing stuff like that, where, you know, you think you know how everything plays, and then someone who doesn't actually attack directly comes into the game, which is which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, and but and yet again, you know, it's similar in theory to Shale, but yet mechanically executed in a very different way. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah, like Shale and Landslide, it's just you know Landslide's just got that big bash that he does, and yeah. Shale doesn't do any damage. Whereas these are powers that work through the dragons from Kira, aren't they? Yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. It's what again, in War Machine they'd call an arc node, if you ever played any War Machine. Yes. Yeah, a bit. You have, haven't you? But I yeah, 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 a bit a long time ago. Yeah, and again, you know, as, as, as you like to, to always say, Ben, very toolboxy. You know, she's got vicious yep. bite, low accuracy, high damage, and rain of fire, which is the reverse. So, you know, she can attack everything on the board. Um, and even the dragons have the same setup, although it's lower numbers, but, you know, it's the same way. Um, so so that that's kind of interesting. She's yeah. squishy, but she doesn't need to be in anyone's face, so... Absolutely. I mean, Kira's great. I love Kira. She's second only to Rangosh in the damage output category, and maybe ahead of him, arguably. Um, her attacks have ways of uh, creating auto wounds or debuffing your armor just before the damage roll, which is basically the same as an auto wound, if you think about it. Um, so her attacks are very, very strong. And because they go through the dragons, you can put large threat areas in different parts of the board. Um, and you know you can do both attacks through the same dragon, so it's not as though you have to have two of them in the same place. And that lets her like spread out her threat in a really flexible way. The dragons themselves are, of course, very fast and can fly over other models, so you can kind of put them where you need them. And if for whatever reason they're not where you need them when Kira needs to attack, she can recruit and move them during her activation as well. So they are pretty relentless and pretty hard to get away from, and they do a lot of damage. Um, the dragon's attacks are also good in the same way that we liked Rangosh because he has a lot of volume of attacks across his warband. Same thing with Kira. She can, if she uses her ultimate, uh, do damage five times in the course of a turn, which is quite good. The issue is that she's squishy and slow, uh, and what you're hoping is that you can keep people off of her just by knocking them out repeatedly. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't work against Kaelin, who is the first champion that can efficiently get rid of the dragons, uh, who have five health, by the way. That's bananas. Five health. Uh, and who can get to Kira whenever she wants. And so Kaelin, I think, really is a matchup that you don't want with Kira, which is why I think Rangosh is now comfortably my favorite Slayer. I used to vacillate between he and Kira, but uh, things are different now. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, that, that, is, that is quite good, and there is no obvious counter for Rangosh, so that makes sense. Yeah. I, but I, Kira's like great. What you said about the splitting up the dragons, actually, that's not something I thought about, but that is a massive threat radius if you, if you have both dragons at the extremes of of her command range, you know. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's a seven. That's seven hexes. That's that's a massive. Well, and if you think about the threat ranges, nine, I suppose. Uh, threat range. That's that. That is that is pretty scary. She can really punish you if you leave her lane open. Like if you, for whatever reason, choose not to spread out your warband and leave some objective hexes uncontested. Kira can go to those uncontested hexes, claim on them, and still do tons of damage to you because of the range that she has. I suppose that's... Is, is that Kira's downside that 
in she doesn't play much of a banner game other than than as you say if she can just sit on some on un, unobjured you know she's fairly slow she doesn't want to be near the action yeah definitely um if you're playing a champion that's good at protecting banners you can probably protect them from kira as long as you can stay alive but yeah you know. i mean i've played her a bit so you've you've just played against her have you elliot yeah i've played against her quite a bit because um, your, your wife jen's been playing her a bit recently hasn't she yes yes it's when she took out my Lausanne twice in <sighs> the same um <laughs> crispy fried elf <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think i think it was the same clash phase <laughs> she dropped her in the clash phase i stood her back up and she got dropped again you know it wasn't very pleasant <laughs> so um yeah she she's she's tough She's sorry. She's not tough at all. She's um, powerful, I should say. Um, but uh, yeah. the, the dragons, though, actually, I was I was playing against them a bit, and you kind of think, oh, two two, that's quite weak. I can hit them with anything. Yeah, you can. Getting five health off someone who's got two armor, you don't do that in one action very often. No, I mean, I was kind of thinking from my point of view as um, like a slayer, as a maelstrom player, that you know that they're going to be quite good for Grimgot, you know, and nom 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 7-7 is going to be one of the best attacks against them, potentially. Yes. Yeah. But actually, it's only got like a 34% chance of of, yeah. of managing to take them fully down. So, yeah. you know, it's not, you know, it's not, they're not, they can usually survive a hit. Yeah, I mean, you can take the dragons down. It's just not going to be efficient. Uh, mm-hmm. And most of the time when I'm playing Kira and someone attacks my dragon, I'm happy about that. Because, as you say, like it's going to take a really powerful attack to even take them out with two attacks. And if you're spending two of your champion's action to take out a dragon that Kira can just bring back, then I think that's a good trade for the Kira player most of the time. But again, what changes that is Kaylin, because she can just do it with her ultimate without rolling any dice. Steps off of it. Um, and her attacks are also pretty efficient for taking them out. So uh, other than Kaylin, I think you're right. Attacking the dragons is not what you want to do into Kira. I think what you want to do is attack Kira herself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was um, interesting thing that I found with her though, it took me quite a few games to get used to her. And much as I think, you know, Elliot was saying how big that kind of potential threat area that she's got, she can end up being pulled out of position and and the dragons not being where they need to be for her if you're not careful. So there is certainly an amount of skill that you need to play her well, I think. You know, she's not um like a dead easy um, yeah. character to play. But then we've been saying about Slayers that they're a bit more of a high skill option potentially anyway, in, in, as a general rule. Um, yeah. Another little thing that's just occurred to me in that, um, you know, there's a very famous um, character that this, that Kira is very obviously based upon. Um, I don't know what you mean, but... <laughs> 
but I also there the... know what you mean what? <laughs> <laughs> but the actress that played said character in the tv series also played another character in the han solo movie that was called <laughs> kira <laughs> 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 oh my word! I didn't realize. It just that. just occurred to me because I was I was looking at something about Baba Fett and this because she's she's all she's all that sort of out she, the Kira character in the Han Solo movie was involved in the uh, in the sort of like the outer rim sort of crime business in yep. Star Wars. Sorry for anybody who's not a Star Wars fan who's listening. Um, and that was. Uh, and it just kind of popped up is on my YouTube feed. Is Kira going to be in the book of Boba Fett? So I just thought, <laughs> hold on a minute. <laughs> Did a god tier double take. <laughs> well, shouts so, to Amelia Clark. She is really great. I think she's fantastic in all of her stuff. Um, but oh my gosh, that's weird. I think I don't think I've seen that movie since before God Tier came out. And if I rewatch it, it's R. You're right. Yeah, it's not completely differently. It's like Q apostrophe IRA or something like that, I think. Is. Uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah, pronounced Kira. Or Kira, possibly. Slightly different emphasis, but. Um, yeah. You're right, though. Uh, going back to your point about how there is some skill with Kira, I think there is. I think the skill you got to develop to play her well, you got to start to anticipate where your opponent's champions need to go. Because uh, if you can anticipate that, think of the dragons as like little traps waiting to go off. If you can create a situation where Kira activates and her target is already next, uh, that's when you really get the most. Um, but of course, it doesn't happen same activation. So you need to be able to read where your opponent needs to be and then put a dragon there. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the thing. Um, you know, the dragons attacks themselves aren't that po- that aren't that potent. So, um, getting them to be where they need to be so that you can do double vicious bite rain of fire in one act, in one act, in, in your Kira activation. I mean, that's when you're getting the most out of the dragons, effectively, isn't it? Yeah. It's also fun to say those. Go on, yeah, Elliot. Sure. I was, yeah, I was just going to say, so I suppose the last thing on Slayers then is, and, and you know, we, we've already kind of half mentioned one of these, but any list ideas with Slayers and little points? Um, I, th- I think we've already, you've already talked about um, Maxing and, and Rangosh and, and, and how that can work well. So any other combos um, of, of, of Reds or people that, that work well with Reds? I like to put two Reds together, but generally not three. And the reason is because of what Ben was saying earlier about how a good counter strategy against Slayers is to put a bunch of followers in their way. And for that reason, I think they need someone on the team who can either move those followers out of the way or get a lot of points killing them. Uh, so my favorite Slayer list right now is Max and Rangosh and Kaylin, because she does both of those things. She moves followers out of the way, and she scores a bunch of points by killing them. Uh, it's also fun to bring a shaper who can sort of clear the path for you uh, or other maelstroms that can sort of clean out the chaff. Um, slayers do bring you a lot of banner denial, 
So if you want a more well-rounded list, it's often good to pair them with someone who can protect banners uh, and sort of move hexes around for them. So I'll often bring a pair of them along with a shaper as well. But uh, you know, if I had to put together a list of four for a Steamforged uh, standard format tournament, it would be um, Rangosh, Maxon, and Kalen on the table almost all the time, and then I would just sort of pick my fourth champion based on covering a scenario that I don't like for those three or or a counter to something that I'm expecting to see a lot of. But uh, that is my favorite list right now. Right, interesting. So here's a list that I've been thinking of then. Um, so I was I was contemplating, you know, because I've been talking about uh, trying to get trying to get my head around Gene a bit more. Is going for Pete and Gene and Rangosh, so that you've got the most poss- the most potential damage focus in the plot phase mm-hmm. of any particular combination. Uh-huh. You know, with with Gene as well, you've got quite a bit of sort of moving followers around as well, haven't you? So, oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I was thinking that could potentially be quite quite an interesting one. I just wonder if it might be a bit weak at crushing banners if you end up going first because um you know you've only then got the one movement of two goblins in the crash phase to try and stump the banners which might be a bit tricky. Vangosh is only two in the the clash as well, isn't he? But yeah. Yeah. So But then but then again you there's know, ultimates that can play around with it though. So you know I mean Gene's true. ultimate potentially can sort out banners to some extent. Um you know, Pete's got a pounce to get onto banners. And like you were saying earlier, Rangosh's got the potential Pete. five, four, five, well, it's four move, five movement in the plot phase, isn't it? So, but, so yeah. you do four movement with his ultimate in the clash phase, potentially. Yeah. Plus, the Shrakes can give him a speed boon and then clear someone out of the way for him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was the kind of a list that I was kind of thinking about trying. A bit more of a, like a quirky, sort of list to play around with something that, you know, play around with things that are going to mess with other people's heads, basically. You know, to try and put them off guard by playing something that behaves in an unusual way, non-standard way. Yeah, that would be harder to standardly predict because, you know, you're not not used to that. People aren't used to that, so... I was thinking of this ridiculous list of taking Lost Stan with Morrigan because I'm desperate to try to get Morrigan to work. Um, and uh, <laughs> Lost Stan's the only person that can give uh, d- damage uh, damage buffs out regularly. But, you know, I think I might forgo that and assume it didn't work. Um, like, every other, <laughs> like every other time I've ever used Morrigan. But um, we'll see. <laughs> well, I might give it a go. Who knows? Um, hmm. One more Slayer combo that's fun. Uh, is just Kira and Rangosh together and just put t- the two biggest hitters in the game on the board at the same time. If you just really love to roll huge handfuls of dice, that is a very fun list. Hmm. I can imagine that. Yeah. And if you're going to use one Slayer, it's probably going to be one of those two, isn't it? And probably Rangosh, really. Yeah. I don't know. I, I said I wanted to marry him during the previous segment, so I can't disagree. <laughs> right. Does that bring us on to the end phase then, Ben? I think so. 
So for the end phase, um, Sam was going to talk to us about something. Um, yeah. Monst- Monster Apocalyptos. Is that, am I even saying that right? Monster Apocalypse. So just like the apocalypse, but with monster at the start. Um, it's great. It's uh, a miniatures game from Privateer Press, the same people who make War Machine. Uh, and it has a lot of things in it that I think people who like God Tier might also like. For one thing, it's on a grid instead of being free movement, so there's no measuring, there's no line of sight, uh, and all the interactions are, are pretty clean, so there's that ambiguity is taken out of the game. It's got a reasonably low model count, so you need to play a full game of it. Uh, two monsters, which are these big kaiju beasts, and then like 20 units, which are these relatively small models. Um, And it's super fun thematically. So the best description of it I've ever heard comes from my friend Jeff Mitchell, who's also a god-tier player. He's Gearbox. He's the guy who uh, kept playing Maxon into me over and over again. He describes it as a Godzilla wrestle chess. So you and your opponent... (laughs) sort of take turns building a city like you have these buildings that are models that you put on the table and they all do different things but you sort of build a city and then over the course of the game um destroy it by doing like pro wrestling moves into your opponent's monsters so you get like you know a big godzilla like thing throwing a giant robot into a building in order to damage it uh and so over the course of the game you destroy the city that you've built um and it's really uh, an interesting game. You you sort of generate resources by destroying buildings and your opponent's models, and then you use those resources to do damage to your opponent's giant kaiju monster in order to win the game. So there's a lot of sort of interesting resource management and positioning elements to it that are really fun, at the same time that the game is very flavorful and lighthearted and, and beautiful to look at. I'm gonna say I've I've been I've been looking at the at the models while while you've been talking, Sam, uh, and I've just got to say I've seen the giant King Kong type model with a rocket launcher. Uh, yeah. Apart from the rocket launcher, of course, is like a ballistic missile on the back of a ballistic missile carrying lorry. <laughs> so it is fairly ridiculous looking. That that is pretty cool. Oh yeah, they've got like Cthulhu monsters and like. 1950s style martians and king kong and godzilla and robots and giant ninjas just whatever your kaiju flavor is it's probably there right oh interesting so how much does it is a what sort of price tag are we talking then for a, to get started in it if you wanted to give it a go Ooh, that's a good question. It's been a while since I did get started with it. Um, They've just launched a Kickstarter, and I'm not sure when it'll be available in retail, that's sort of a starter set in the the mold of of, uh, God Tier in that all of it is pre-assembled. And I'm not sure what the price point for that is, but I I remember it being pretty reasonable. Um, I think it's like... A starter pack that you can play with is like 30 US dollars ish. And then you add additional champions for somewhere between 15 and 20. Um, I don't know. Give me just a second. I'll look up some prices. Sorry. So this, the, 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 they're looking about 35 quid for either some followers. Sorry, 35 dollars 
maybe some followers of a big monster looking at what, what I'm looking at here, but whether you get some packs or not as well. So, Are these metal models or plastic or... Resin. They're resin. all resin. Oh, resin. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, they look beautiful. So you're right. Um, so I'm looking at a website now that's about 30 US dollars for a monster and 20 for um, five followers or units, they're called. So you need 20 units and two monsters for a full list. Um, but there's also starter packs that give you a bit more economy that way. Um, they're all on clear bases, and the game is played on a map. So you can see the tiles underneath the units and monsters. And the unlike God Tier, where you just have some nice art on a grid, the map actually matters strategically and influences the way that things move and where buildings are placed. So you can play on a bunch of different maps, and that's kind of how you get different scenarios, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the reason to play it is if you just get a visceral thrill out of the idea of a giant octopus grabbing a giant evil robot and hurling it into a building. If that <laughs> if that floats your boat, you may enjoy this. That does sound fun, actually, I have to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking through some of the monsters now. There's, uh, there's some interesting ones in there, I think. Uh... There's a lot of releases, is what you'll see pretty quickly. Um, and also, like God Tier, it's pretty factionless. So... The, there are factions, but you don't have to play factions together. You can mix them up. Um, there's just sort of one dividing line, which is between the monsters that want to protect the world and the monsters that want to destroy the world. So, you know, you sort of pick half of the range that's available to you. But it's still pretty open and flexible. But then that 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 this that stops you having to paint stuff all the same army color, which is is one of the things I like about God Tier as well. Is you know you don't have to paint all your models the same color like you do in a lot of a lot of oh. games. If you know what I mean, you know, you, if you get a if you get a forty k space marine army and every squad's a different color, it is a little bit bizarre. So, uh, <laughs> so so again, this one you can play around with anything you want, I guess, by the sounds of that. So and certainly by looking at the models. So. Mm. Mm. It is. Let's look interesting. What's the what's the sort of the basic mechanics of it? Is it um, is it something you know like like God tier with sort of like stack cards and dice for for stuff, or is the yeah? Uh, I think the mechanics are really unique and innovative. So it is dice based, and there are stat cards, but it works very differently from God tier. So the dice are your resource. So when you start a turn, you have to choose whether it's going to be a unit turn or a monster turn. In other words, one where you move your units or move your monsters. Uh, And you've got these sort of 10 dice called action dice. And when you take a unit turn, the action dice move from your unit pool to your monster pool. So as you use your units more on your next turn, you're more committed to using your monster. Uh, And then when you do things in the game, like destroy enemy models or buildings, you generate power dice, which are like a reward resource that you harvest uh, that you then use to make big attacks against the opponent's monster. So dice are both the mechanic and the resource. Um, Yeah, nice. Yeah. So I think it's it's pretty interesting, and it creates this kind of resource management mini-game. Hmm. Yeah, it does sound interesting. Sounds sort of a little bit similar to the momentum in Guild Ball, but a lot more. That was yeah. very much an optional spend mechanic, and there was an element of you had to 
you you know you wanted to build it up as yeah, well a great as point. spending about it whereas this sounds like it's all about spending it uh yeah i mean you can save it up to have bigger nastier turns like you don't necessarily want to spend all your power dice immediately but i think momentum is a good comparison from guild ball yeah that makes sense to me okay okay um yeah. i don't know if elliot's got any more questions or shall we no i think we can can wrap up so uh well firstly thanks a lot sam um do you, do you just want to say, um, in case someone has not followed your blog, what the with general blog site is? Because I know you put a lot of interesting articles on that. Ah, oh, thanks. Yeah, it depends how much free time I have. Like when my work schedule picks up, I don't post as much. I've been posting a lot lately, though. Uh, it's called the Objective Hex, and I started writing it kind of as my quarantine hobby. So there's articles going back to around June 2020, and I've written. I think a lot. I mean, some people got stressed out and baked banana bread. This is what I did instead. Um, so I hope folks enjoy it. Once again, it's called the Objective Hex. You know, it's a janky Wix site that I haven't paid for, but uh, I hope you enjoy it. Well, yeah, I've been I, enjoying the stuff that's on it so far. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, got well some interesting well articles. Well to read. Yeah, and I think I'd like to invite you back on at some point for a more in-depth discussion about um, your ideas on drafting as well, because that's something that particularly interests me. I think Elliot's perhaps a bit more sceptical, so we can have a a nice sort of back-and-forth discussion about that for a future episode, if you're up for that. I would love to come and talk to you guys anytime. Like, it's just so nice to have God-tier podcast content. Uh, For people like me who don't have a local in-person community, it's so good to just, like hear god tier talk so i really like what you guys are doing and i'd be happy to come and talk to you anytime about anything well thank you very much for coming yeah cheers sam right so shall we just um remind people about our own little private endeavors as well elliot if you want to plug your blog as well while we're here yeah i've got my blog uh com, which is you know just me painting up different models most of the time um Obviously, some god tier bits of uh, Warhammer and the like as well. Um, that's my main one. And yourself, Ben? Yeah, I've got um, I've got my own website. It's called uh, BlackOrifice.uk, where there is a mixture of articles on a whole variety of different gaming things, and plus also um, some role playing games that I've written that you can either download for free, or some of them you can there'll be links to stuff on drivethroughrpg.com if you want to go and buy them i wouldn't say no <laughs> or you can follow me on twitter at the black or at the black orifice and with that we'll say goodbye bye fellas thanks again that was fun yeah cheers for coming the time much appreciated hope you enjoyed it definitely thank you everyone for listening goodbye Thank you for listening. Banner Bearers was brought to you by Elliot Kuhlbeck and Ben Redmond, with music from purpleplanetmusic.com. This is a fan production and all opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests, not Steamforged Games. 